Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church. name of our Lord. Let's sing it together. There is strength in the name of the Lord. There is power in the name of the Lord. There is hope in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Sing it again. Let's worship him today.
you so much. Would you be seated, please? Amen. With the Lord this morning together. Let's go to the Lord together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunities in ministry this past week. Lord, I thank you for every door that was knocked on, for every uh, bag that was hung on a door because somebody wasn't at home. Uh, Lord, because those are gospel seeds that are being planted. Lord, I'm so excited about conversations that we got to have this week. The amount of times that we got to share the gospel. Uh, Lord, the amount of times we got to invite somebody to come to church. Lord, what a blessing. Lord, uh, what a blessing it was for, for those of us who were adult leaders with our teenagers this weekend to just see them, the excitement in, in doing worship, the excitement in going out and, and doing missions, hands-on labor of just loving on folks uh, who needed help. Uh, Lord, bless those opportunities. Bless that and allow it, those seeds that were planted to produce a great harvest. Lord, I know that this morning we've got folks that are here, right here in this room today, who are lost and need to be saved. There's folks right now that are watching on television, that are watching on Facebook Live, and they're lost, and they need a relationship with you. And Lord, you desire for, the day, for today to be a day of salvation for them. Lord, help them to hear, help them to respond, help them to say yes to you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together. I am not skilled to understand what God is with, what God is planned. I only know at his right hand stands one who is my Savior. I take him at his word indeed. Christ died to save me. I read, and in my heart I find need of him to be my Savior. He will leave his place on high and come for sinful men to die. You counted strength so once did I. My Savior loves, my Savior lives, my Savior is always there for me. My God, he was, my God, he is, my God, he's always going to be. My Savior loves, my Savior lives, my Savior is always there for me. My God, he was, my God, he is, my God, he's always going to be. Yes, living, dying, let me strength my soul is from this spring that he who lives to be my king once died to be my savior that he would leave his place on high and come for sinful men to die you counted strength so once did I Savior loves my Savior. 
He'll deliver. Stand on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ, my King, through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. We're standing on the promises of God. so much. Praise band's going to share with us before the message. In Psalm 36 it says, how priceless your faithful love is God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings for the wellspring of life is with you. By means of your light we see light. Spread your faithful love uh, over those who know you and your righteousness over the upright in heart. And uh, this year has been a struggle. And uh, this song is about knowing that God is always faithful and he always uh, stands uh, like we just uh, sang. He stands on his promises. And uh, this, uh, this time during spring, we can kind of see God all around us, you know, as the flowers begin to come out and as we think about Easter and get in that Easter mindset. And uh, what uh, Miss Patty always taught us in Bible school is uh, we like to have God sightings this time of year. So. That's what this song's about. It's called Evidence. Faithfulness is 
made way for spring in every season from where I'm standing I see team. Thank you, Brother Rockney, for leading us this morning. I sure am looking forward to getting our choir back up here. Uh, things are feeling a little more normal. Uh, it feels like every week now, and I'm uh, looking forward just to getting back in that place where we are all back doing what the Lord's called us to do every single week. Uh, one of the beauties of, of being a Christian is that all of us have been called in to full-time ministry. Uh, that's, just, that's not a role here at Brinesburg that only I and Brother Rockney hold. Uh, we have all been called into a life 
a full-time ministry. And it is such a blessing to be your pastor because I have so many of you um, that will either talk to me on Sunday or you send me text or you'll give me a phone call about your full-time ministry. Whether that is your full-time ministry as a mom or a grandma or a dad or a granddad or whether it is that influence you have in your workplace or with your neighbors. So many of you are keeping me informed about what God is doing in your ministry. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. If you were with us in Sunday school, your Bible already may be marked uh, as we're going to be looking at the same passage this morning, uh, which is John chapter 4. And if you'll turn with me there to John chapter 4, we see that the Lord has called us each and every one into full-time ministry. And here this morning, I want you to see that He is showing us how we can minister well. We can learn from the ministering well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you yet on another Sunday morning, the opportunity to come together, the opportunity to, to meet with you, uh, Lord, to be able to just spend this time in worship, to spend this time lifting up our hearts and our voices to you in praise, to spend time in prayer, to be able to give, and right now to be able to focus on your word being proclaimed to us. And so, uh, Lord, I, I thank you for the tender, compassionate, yet bold interaction that you had with an outcast woman who found herself not just simply at the right place at the right time, but who found herself at an appointment with Jesus that had made, been made before the foundations of the earth had been laid. Lord, that's how you are with us. Lord, you know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly where you want to meet us, where, where you want us to be at any given moment. And Lord, you have a, a plan for our lives. Lord, this morning, help us to see how you would have us to minister. And I pray that we might minister well in your name. I also pray for my friends that don't yet know you. Lord, I pray that they would have a coming to the ministering well kind of moment today where they meet Jesus, the great I am, and come into relationship with him. I know that I am a very weak vessel. Lord, hide me behind the cross that only you'd be seen and only you'd be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Raise your hand this morning if your life is a little bit busy. Anybody have a little bit of a busy life? Yeah. Uh, I think I'm running on about four hours of sleep this weekend. I'm, I'm feeling what it is to have a busy life. But all of us are that way. Uh, we're so busy uh, that sometimes it can be hard for us to minister to anyone. We're running late to work. We're, we're running the kids or the grandkids to whatever it is that they're supposed to be at next. We're running to the next appointment. We're running to church. And in all of that running and all of that rushing, we're running past many times the very people that God has called us to minister to. Amen. Just so, so busy doing the good that all too often we're missing out on the very best that the Lord has for us. Jesus' ministry was not a ministry that was just kick back your feet and relax. There was never a man who had a more jam-packed schedule than Jesus, yet he was never rushed. You see, Jesus would get up early every morning and do what? Pray. He'd spend time with the Father. He'd get up early enough to spend time with his Father. He was never rushed. He, he, he always knew where he was supposed to be, and he was at the places that the Father had placed for him to be at. And Jesus teaches us this morning 
much here about how we can minister well. That if we will come to the well, that we will then be able to minister well, but we have to come to Him. Uh, her name here is never actually given. And so throughout all of history, uh, we've simply known her as the Samaritan woman at the well. She's making her way to the well at the heat of the day, which was odd. That's not the th time of day that you would go to draw water. But she was going there at this time of day because she didn't want to see anybody. She was really just going there to just get enough water for that day, just enough to quench her physical thirst for another day. She had gone from man to man. She had been looking for a lasting relationship, that relationship that would make her feel whole, but that man didn't do it, and then that man didn't do it, and then that man didn't do it, and then that man didn't do it. And so she was now not with a husband, she was just with a man, another man that wouldn't fulfill her. She was at the place in life where she was no longer willing to trust. So she had chosen now just to rely on herself. But then one day at noon, Scripture tells us, she came to the ministering well and everything changed. Please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. And let's look at this interaction here in John chapter 4. Begin with me in, in verse 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sakar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. It was about noon. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and he said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and would have given thee living water. And the woman saith to him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, from whence then hast thou that living water. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? And Jesus answered, and he said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman saith to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus saith to her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that saith thy truly. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Duh, okay. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And in ye say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh 
when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. And then listen. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. You may be seated. God has called us all into full-time ministry. He has called us all to serve in that place Wherever it is that we work, wherever it is that we live our lives, wherever it is that that's, that sphere of influence in our life may be, that is where God has called us to minister. And here he gives us this beautiful example of how we can minister well. First look with me at verses 4 through 6. And we see that Jesus listens well to the Father's leading. Jesus listens well to the Father's leading. He traveled through Samaria for the benefit here of both parties. Jesus, as a Jewish male rabbi, had every excuse, he had every reason to avoid this woman. You see, you might call it triple avoidance. There were three good reasons why Jesus could have just turned and, and looked the other direction, as we so often do. First of all is race. The Samaritans were considered by the Jews to be a half-breed people because those who were living there in, in, in the northern kingdom had basically intermarried with the people around about them and had created what the Jews referred to as a, as a half-breed people, the Samaritans. It was almost a byword to call somebody a Samaritan. And so th she was seen in that way because this is who she was. She was a Samaritan. So she was a woman that you really didn't want to have much to do with, but also the class system at that time. So that she was from a, a lower class. She was from the wrong side of the tracks, okay? That, that's who she was. But not only that, but because of the number of relationships she had had, she would have been seen in that day and time as nothing more than a dirty prostitute. That's how they would have seen her. But beyond that, she was a woman. And in the first century, women didn't have rights. Women weren't seen as equal at all. And so there was a triple avoidance here. There was three different reasons why Jesus had every opportunity, if he had been like us, to have said, uh, not somebody I need to interact with. Not somebody I want to talk to. Not somebody I want to be around because they might harm my reputation. Okay? If somebody saw me talking to her, what would, what would people think? <laughs> Samaritan woman of, of her reputation what would people think if I talked to her? So these intersecting realities marginalized her identity in the public square. And, and, and Jesus, though, Jesus never allows cultural fear to determine his conversation partners. Do you notice that through Scripture? Folks that the religious leaders would always push away and wanted nothing to do with, Jesus said, hey, come on, let's have a conversation. Let's sit down. Let's, let's have a meal together. He never allowed cultural fear to determine his conversation partners. He would go to anyone that the Father had given him an appointment with. Jesus viewed this woman as more important than his reputation. 
It was more important that she knew that God desired to have a relationship with her than it was what his disciples even might think when they came back and saw him talking to this woman. He didn't care. She needed to know him. And so he had the conversation. I wonder this morning, I wonder this morning, who are we unwilling to witness to because of the color of their skin? Who are, who are we unwilling to witness to because of their social standing in the community or lack thereof? Who is it that, that we don't, well, you know, I just wouldn't have much in common with them. Oh, that's an excuse. That's just an excuse. And we make all those excuses, but Jesus never did. Jesus goes to this woman and, and doesn't care about what it means for his reputation. He wants to love her. He wants her to know his love. And look at verse 5. Jesus knew the sin of, partial, of partiality creates cultural disunity. You see, if Jesus were in a hurry, and, and if Jesus had wanted to have avoided an uncomfortable conversation, this woman's background would have provided all the cover that Jesus would have needed to legitimately walk to the other side of the street. How many times have you done that? How many times have I done that? Ooh, that would be an uncomfortable conversation. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to look this way and act like I didn't see him. And so we cross over. We don't, we don't go. We don't step into obedience. We walk the other way. Many of us over the year have most likely done just that. We felt legitimately okay with our decisions because we got to be careful, right? Right now, that's one of the excuses we're making, some, some of us, for not doing gospel every home. Well, you just got to be careful. You got to be careful right now. And so we let that be an excuse. But if it wasn't COVID, it would be, well, you know, you don't ever know what kind of door you're going to knock on. So we make that excuse. Or, you know, people don't really appreciate that sometimes. And so we make that excuse. We, we give every excuse. Jesus didn't make excuses. He didn't come up with a million different reasons of why he shouldn't go and talk to this woman. Right now, all too often we make excuses of a group of people that we can't talk to. Well, I just don't have much in common with them culturally. And I, I'm sorry, but right now our country is more fractured in the area of racial unity than it has been in several decades. And there's, and there's no reason for it. It's been done by, by media. It's been done uh, to, to, to try to fracture people into different groups instead of just seeing us as, as Americans, as people. And I've had friends of a different skin pigmentation who have become distrusting of me over the last couple of years because social media, because media in general has told them that, that, that those aren't relationships that they're supposed to have. You, you know, right now we're, we're being told that in, in so many different directions. Don't trust anybody who doesn't look like you, who doesn't come from the same place as you. And that's the way it was in the first century as well. But listen to me this morning. Jesus was a full-blooded Jew. Do you know what that means? It means he wasn't a white European, so he did not look like you, okay? Let's just get that out of our heads. You know, all those little paintings of Jesus with, with you know, the blue eyes and the beautiful white skin? That's not Jesus. That's somebody else. I don't know who it is, but it's not Jesus. Jesus was a full-blooded Jew. He didn't look like us, and we need to understand that. And so in this encounter, listen to me this morning, in this encounter— with a Samaritan woman, when we, when we read these, we kind of put ourselves in, 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 in the place of one of the characters a lot of times. We like to put ourselves in one of their shoes. In this encounter, you are not Jesus, okay? You're not. 
You're the Samaritan woman. That's who you are. Because you would have been a Gentile. And so Jesus would have had every reason not to have talked to you. That's who you were. If Jesus had avoided the Gentiles, then you and I would have been destined for eternity in hell. But Jesus didn't. Jesus leaned into the uncomfortable. He leaned into that which culture said he shouldn't be doing. And he came after us. Praise the Lord. And stop listening. So I say this morning, stop listening to the left. Stop listening to the right. Stop listening to the blue. Stop listening to the red voices out there. And start listening to the voice of Jesus of who it is you should be talking to, of the conversations that you should be having, of what's really important in life right now. The most important thing in life right now is not political, okay? I'm so sick and tired of, of seeing all of this political stuff that fragments us, but nobody wants to share the gospel with anybody. We're more than willing to put anything and everything, and most of it is false, it's made up stuff on social media, but we never once want to just actually go and have a physical conversation with somebody who needs Jesus. And so we're allowing ourselves to be fractured in all these different directions instead of recognizing that the lost are sheep without a shepherd. They need the shepherd and his name is Jesus. They are lost and they need to be found and Jesus is the one who's coming after them. They are our neighbors and he has given us the responsibility to have these conversations with them. And so look at verse 6. Jesus did, did not allow fatigue to cause faithlessness. He says, so Jesus being wearied from his journey. As I said, I'm, I'm running on about four hours of sleep right now. I know what it is to be weary. I'm, I'm kind of there right now. Uh, and some of you are that way too, because guess what? This is the Sunday we had to spring forward. So I'm seeing a lot of this morning, okay? Some of you needed another cup of coffee. But Jesus was weary. I mean, he had walked and walked and walked, and he's finally come to this well, and now it's the heat of the day, and he's just sitting here on this well, and he's weary. Jesus was worn out, and really, he just needed to sit down. He needed to kick his feet up for a while. He needed to take a rest. However, the Father had a divine appointment that Jesus was going to keep. That's one of the differences between us and Jesus is that we have divine appointments that we don't keep. Jesus always kept the appointments, didn't he? He always did. So he was worn out. He says he was wearied from his journey, but he kept his appointment. Why? Because look at verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. He had to. Why? Because the Father had made an appointment that Jesus was going to keep. While in Brazil, there were some days that, that I was just absolutely worn out physically. And those of you who have been to Brazil, you know how that is. I mean, you're sitting on the equator here. And we Kentuckians are not used to that, okay? Sitting on the equator without any air conditioning, too. Uh, we're, we're very conditioned to being in the, in the cool for part of the day, and, and that just wasn't an, an option there. And so oftentimes you'd be ministering all day long, and especially for our medical team, they were ministering inside of a uh, building with no ventilation. And it could get suffocate, very much suffocating on some of those days. And all you really wanted to do at break time was just to go back to your hammock, lay down in your hammock and turn your fan on full blast in your face and just try to cool down. That's all you wanted to do. And then all of a sudden, I would hear somebody say, Pastor, would you and the doctor make a home visit for just a minute with us? And, and so they would want Dawn and I to go and visit somebody who couldn't get to the clinic. 
Uh, maybe they had difficulty walking or whatever else it would be. And so then the decision came, okay? Comfort or faithfulness, okay? Now, on a mission trip, there's no question. When they say pastor, I guess I got to go, you know. It's kind of part of the role here. But in real life, okay, when we're not on a mission trip, what's the answer in those times? I'm worn out. It's been a long week. I've been taking the kids here, there, and yonder, and, you know, I'm tired. What's the answer? Is it going to be comfort or is it going to be faithfulness? Jesus here chose faithfulness, and it resulted in a great harvest because Jesus was willing to listen well to the Father. Look at verses 17 through 22. Jesus cares well for all of the Samaritan woman's needs. When you see a need, meet the need. Okay? You can write that down if you want to. When you see a need, meet the need. Well, what if they're, what if they're not really in need? What if they're trying to trick? Why is that our problem? You see a need and you feel like the Lord has prompted you to meet the need. Don't second guess the Lord. Meet the need. Meet the need. He cares here for her emotional needs in verses 7 through 12. She was broken emotionally by a lifetime of being told that she was lesser than. And some of you here this morning are, are used to that. You've been told many times in your life that you're lesser than. And so you know how she felt. This woman has, has come some distance to draw this water in the heat of the day. And there's a reason. There's a reason because there were closer water sources to her. But to avoid the shame of any contact with others, she makes the journey to this well. She is an outcast who knows the feeling of rejection all too well. But Jesus also knows this about her and will not allow her to avoid him. Did you notice where Jesus was? What was he sitting on? What was he sitting on? The well. You want water? You're coming through me. We're going to have a conversation. And you're going to get the water you need, but it's not going to be what you think you're coming for. He would not allow her to avoid him. In verse 7, this woman is shocked by Jesus' request. Give me a drink. Why is this so shocking? John remarks the shocking statement because of verse 9. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. It's socially uncouth to do anything remotely involving a Samaritan. And so she's shocked at his request. Jesus here is opening her, himself up to becoming ceremonially unclean by his willingness to drink from her container. Do you understand what that, this means in this culture? For those of you um, who are reading with us through the Bible here in 2021, through our Bible reading plan, you've already been through Leviticus and you've seen why this was such a big deal. You've read through the law. You know what it means for the Jews to become ceremonially unclean. There's nothing that would make you more unclean than drinking out of the water pot of a Samaritan woman. And so Jesus says, I want you to take your water pot and I want you to give me a drink. He's breaking all kinds of ceremonial laws here. Breaking through all that cultural mess that had been built up for so long. But the issue here is something very clear that Jesus wants us to understand. The issue here is this. Once Jesus touches something or someone, they are clean. You hear me? Once Jesus touches something or someone, 
they're clean. And some of you need to hear that this morning because that's a lot of baggage in your life that you're saying, you know, God couldn't forgive me. Yes, he could because he's already touched you. And so you've already been made clean. And that's what he wants this woman to understand. Jesus touches a leper, he is clean. Jesus touches the corpse of a dead man and they arise clean. Jesus can drink out of the Samaritan woman's pot and that pot becomes clean. So clearly what he's trying to do here is he is foreshadowing what is about to happen in her life. He's saying, honey, whenever you get done with being touched by me, you're going to be clean. You're not going to have to worry about this junk anymore. Notice in verses 10 through 12, Jesus turns the attention back to this woman. And as the conversation began, Jesus was, was the thirsty one. But now Jesus begins to talk to this woman about her need for water, but, but she misunderstands his meaning. And we so often think that Jesus needs something from us, don't we? That's what she thought. Oh, you got to have my pot or you can't get any water. Well, what are you going to do? You don't have anything to draw with. And so we say, well, I have to give money to the church so the, money, so the church can do something, so God can do something in the church, or, or I have to give up a week of my, of my life so that, so that I can go on a mission trip so that, so that God can save somebody. But I've got, you know, I've got to do these things so that God can accomplish something. When the reality is, is that Jesus knows how badly that you need to be a part of what he is doing. And so he allows you to give financially. He allows you to give of your time. He allows you to give up that week to go on a mission trip, knowing how much you need that time alone with him. He doesn't need anything from you. He knows what you need, and he's providing those opportunities for you. Jesus doesn't need us, but rather he, owes, he will allow us to be blessed in unexpected ways. Jesus' desire is that this woman might receive living water from the life-giving well, which is him, the Messiah. He's the Lord, he's the Savior, he's the God of all creation. The one who she is face to face with is God in the flesh. Throughout Israel's history, God had desired to give them living water, to cleanse them, to transform them. However, time after time, they would foolishly forsake God, the fountain of living water, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns. They could hold no water. But secondly, he cares for her spiritual needs. Look at verses 13 through 14. Jesus has first addressed her emotional needs, and so now he might address her more pressing spiritual need. Jesus offers the gift of living water. And this woman is in far greater need of living water than she even understands at this point. Her parched soul has been de dehydrated by the harsh realities of a sinful lifestyle for so long that she has jumped from man to man, from bed to bed, uh, to, to never find the true acceptance and love that she's truly been looking for all of her life. And now this water is being offered, and this same sin blinds her from the reality of what Jesus is really talking about. She, she is so entrenched in her own way of thinking and all the mess that's going on in her life that she can't even hear what Jesus is really saying to her. So thirdly, he cares for her physical need. Look at verses 15 through, six, 15 through 18. Jesus addresses her physical thirst, but he is not distracted in making sure to bring her to the well of living water. He says, give me the drink so, so I don't have to make this trip anymore. She says, allow me to have this water that will keep me from having to walk through these wells every single day so that I can avoid these people, so I don't have to talk to anybody ever again who, who's going to make fun of me, who's going to point fingers at me, who's going to judge me. 
She doesn't understand fully at this point the spiritual transformation that Jesus is about to make in her life because she's not going to be known as that woman who goes from man to man anymore. She's going to be, become known as the woman who brings Jesus to them, okay? But she doesn't understand that yet. And so she's willing to accept with no conditions yet being stated because she, she wants this water that keeps her from having to come to a well ever again. She, like any sinner, needs living water. But she had to understand first the deadly nature of her sin and her great need for the Savior, whose name is Jesus. Notice how she begins to feel the conviction here of what Jesus is saying. Jesus goes to the heart of the matter in verse 16 when he says to her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Repentance can only come when we're made conscious of the deadly nature of sin in our life. What is the sin that you're unwilling to let go of in order to have new life in Christ? What is it that is more important to you than Jesus? Is it drinking? Does that bottle hold you captive? Is it a relationship? Do you love that physical relationship more than you love Christ? Is it pornography? Do the images on that computer screen draw your heart away from what Jesus desires for you? Is it money? Have your possessions begun to possess you? What is it? The woman tells a half-truth here after hearing this shocking request by saying, I have no husband. I'm not living with a husband right now. She was still trying to hide her life of sin. She's still trying to protect herself. But Jesus would not allow her to stay comfortable in her sin. And you need to know that this morning as well. One of the reasons God may be making you so uncomfortable is because he is unwilling to allow you to stay comfortable in your sinful lifestyle. And so in verses 17 and 18, Jesus unmasks the sin of her life and he exposes it to the light of day, to the light of the light of the world, who is him, Jesus Christ. But then fourthly, he cares for her intellectual needs. Look at verses 19 through 22. She begins to have some deep theological questions. In verse 19, she begins to understand that she's talking with someone who is more than an ordinary man, okay? She gets that much. And she confesses that Jesus has stated a truth here. And she's hoping that this man that knows so much about her will be able to give her this water of eternal life. And so Jesus reveals himself. She's been convicted of sin and, and her need of eternal life. And so now she turns to trying to find a place to go in order to find it. Where, where do I need to go? Where's the place I have to go to? What is it that I have to do? What is it I have to accomplish? Where is this place of worship? The Jews worshiped at the temple in Jerusalem while the Samaritans only ex accepted the Pentateuch to be scripture. And so they worshiped at Mount Gerizim. So now she wanted to know who was right. Is it the temple or is it the mountain? And Jesus replied that it's not going to matter in a short time because both are going to be destroyed. So don't worry about that. The more important issue is that the new covenant is coming and, the, and no temple will be needed for worship because access to God will be made through the cross. In verse 22, Jesus explains that salvation comes through the Jew in two different ways. First, the revelation of salvation came through the Jew and then to the rest of the world. But second, the source of salvation, the person of Jesus Christ has, himself was a Jew. So now Jesus ha has met her needs. And so now 
thirdly, Jesus compels the Samaritan woman to embrace the truth. Look at verses 23 through 26. As Jesus compels her to embrace the truth, he creates a, a, a better vision for tomorrow and today. He says in spirit, not, not external, but internal, not ceremonial and ritual, not musical styles. That, that's, not, that's not what worship is, okay? That's not what, it's that, when we say we're having worship wars, that, it's really just music wars. Because worship is more than a musical style. It, it, it must be internal. It must be within the heart, regardless of the style of music, regardless of if the preacher wears a suit or a sweater or a T-shirt. Worship occurs when your heart is rightly directed towards God. That other mess doesn't matter. So it's in spirit, but also in truth. It is word-centered. It's not about health and wealth. It's not about the preaching style of the pastor. Is he funny enough to keep my attention on a Sunday morning? It's about the Word of God being preached. It's about the centrality of the gospel in what is being preached. It's about Jesus Christ being lifted up. And if, that, if that's the truth, if you're, if you're worshiping in the Spirit and in truth, then you're worshiping rightly, he says. He champions what the Father desires here in verse 24. Neither the Jew or the Samaritan were worshiping in that manner right now. And so God is looking for a circumcised heart, meaning th those that have given their heart to, to, to the, the Father, and, and not just in actions only, but have truly surrendered all to Him. He says God is spirit. It's a simple statement, but it truly does define who God is. Had God not revealed Himself to us in Scripture and through the Lord Jesus Christ, we would be utterly unable to comprehend who He is. It took the special revelation of God for us to understand who He is. So Jesus clarifies the woman's confusion with biblical truth in verses 25 and 26. The woman is still not able to comprehend all that she is being taught. And she simply sighs and she takes a step back and she says, well, you know what, sir, one day Messiah will explain all of this to us. <laughs> she doesn't have a clue, does she? One day. One day Messiah will explain all of this to us. It's, it's one of those things of you're trying to get out of the conversation. It's gotten a little awkward. And so you're saying something that, that, you know, a religious person says, okay, that's a good Sunday school answer. I guess I can walk away now. She doesn't have a clue what she has just said. One day Messiah will explain it to us. And in dramatic fashion here, Jesus boldly gives one of the 23 I am statements of the Gospels when he says, I that speak unto thee am he. He says, I am Yahweh and I am speaking to you. Wow. Jesus didn't reveal himself to the high and the lofty or to the religious establishment of the day in the middle of the temple, but rather to an outcast of outcasts next to the local watering hole. That's who he chooses to reveal himself to. It must have rocked her to the core. She had come for a drink of water. That's it. You're like you're walking up to the water fountain. I'm thirsty. I need, I need a drink. And she's confronted with living water. Simple Samaritan woman had not seen any of the signs or miracles or heard any of the teaching before she encountered Jesus on this day at the well. But because of what Jesus said about her, because of the interaction he had in her life, because he was able to speak to her needs, because he was able to minister well, she was saved that day. And she left the water pot, didn't she? most precious thing that she had had before meeting Jesus didn't mean a thing 
Didn't mean a thing now that she had living water. She became a missionary that day. Isn't that awesome? We, 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 we are sometimes surprised by people who become missionaries. I've heard some of you from guys who have left the church uh, and become ministers and, and gone out on, on, on missions, and you say, oh, I never would have thought that as a kid about them. Well, think about this woman. <laughs> who would have thought that this Samaritan woman would have been sent as a missionary? But on this day, she became a missionary to the very people who she had been avoiding for so long. She ran into the middle of that village and she began to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. She had found Jesus. What she had longed for for so long was for something to fill her up, for something to, to fill up the void in her heart. And she finally found it in the living water of the Lord Jesus Christ, in a personal relationship with Him. So if you find yourself here this morning, if you find yourself watching on television, if you find yourself watching on on Facebook Live this morning. If you're here and you, like this woman, are lost, and you're saying, Brother Brad, okay, the conviction's here. God's speaking to me right now, Brother Brad. What do I do? What do I do? Well, what is Jesus' conversation with this Samaritan woman? What does it show us about salvation? Well, first of all, salvation comes only to those who recognize that they're sinners, that they're in need of a Savior. Living water can only be received by those who realize that they're thirsty. Are you thirsty this morning? Are you lost? Do you know that? Do you know at the deepest place of who you are, I don't know Jesus, but I want to. Salvation only comes secondly to those who confess and repent their sin and desire for forgiveness. And so before this woman could embrace Jesus, she had to acknowledge the full weight of her sin. Jesus couldn't tiptoe around and say, you're a pretty good woman. Sweetie, you're okay. Don't worry about it. God loves you anyway. Just don't, we're not going to address that. I'm sure there's some stuff going on in your life, but we're not going to talk about it. He says, you're living like a prostitute. God wants to do something different in your life. Okay? He, he, he confronts the sin, and she has to confront it. And thirdly, salvation comes only to those who embrace Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the sin bearer. Salvation is found in no other name but Jesus. And so it's not enough that you said, well, you know, I'm glad I came this morning. I, I, I feel better. We got to sing and, and we heard the word and I, I've done my duty. I've sat through church. I, I feel better about myself now. Or, or maybe I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to live better now. I'm going to try to be a good person now. None of that stuff's going to save you. You must be saved by placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to do anything else, you're going to leave lost just like you came in. You must embrace him. And so are you willing to do that this morning? If you're in that position of the Samaritan woman, are you willing to come to the living water this morning? But if you've already been to the well, if you already have a relationship with Jesus, what does Jesus want us to take away this morning? Well, clearly, the most loving act a Christian can do for a person in crisis in their life is to listen and respond to their immediate and eternal needs, okay? See a need, meet a need, Brinesburg. You see the need, you meet that need. When we knock on these doors, if we find out somebody has a need, we meet that need so that we can share the gospel with them. So who is it at work? Who is it in your family? Who is it your neighbor? Who is it that you've met this week as we've knocked on doors? Who is it that is in need? Let's meet that need so that we can share the gospel. That's what we see here. The Holy Spirit will give you the ability to find common ground so that you can plant a gospel seed. But you must listen well 
You must then minister well and then invite them to the well, the Lord Jesus Christ. How you need to respond this morning? What does obedience look like in your life this morning? Lord, help me, Father, thank you. Thank you for the clarity, the simplicity of gospel ministry that you've called us all to. Lord, thank you for the simplicity of the gospel itself that any of my friends, they may be kids today, it may be youth today, it may be a young adult, it may be a middle-aged adult, it may be a senior adult, the simplicity of the gospel is that we are sinners before coming into relationship with you. And so I've got friends here today watching on television, watching on Facebook Live, and they are a sinner just like I was a sinner. And they know exactly what that sin is. And it's not just a hypothetical sin out there. No, there's a specific junk. It's in a bottle. It's in a, it's in a pill bottle. It's in a relationship that's unhealthy. It's on a, a screen. It's in the way that they speak. It's, it's in the way that they treat their family. There is sin, and they know specifically what it is. And I pray right now that they are feeling that sin in, in, in all of its weight and recognizing their need to repent and their need for you. And so today, I don't care how young they are, I don't care how old they are, I pray that individuals would come to faith in you today, repenting of sin and placing their faith in you. Jesus Christ, the one who died for their sins upon the cross of Calvary, was physically dead and in the grave for three days, and on the third day physically arose to life evermore, defeating sin, death, hell, the grave as that perfect sin sacrifice. Lord, today there's folks that need to be saved, but there's folks of, uh, like me, and we need to come to this altar. And we need to say, God, use me. Help me to minister well to those you've placed in my life. Lord, do the work that only you can do today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.